Welcome to the Psychedelic Integration Podcast. I'm Sinclair Fleetwood, your psychedelic life coach, and I teach you how to connect with your soul mission, follow your heart, and make lasting changes in your life by creating a sacred spiritual partnership with plant medicines. Learn easy tools, tips, and integration strategies that will demystify the psychedelic renaissance and open the way for you to come back home to yourself. If I can do it, you can do it too. Find out how here. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. I'm Sinclair Fleetwood. I'm so happy that you're here. Today I have a very special guest with me, my medicine brother, my friend, Leo Van. He goes by Leo Van. His last name is Van Vienendal. Did I get it right? Dang, you got it. Yes, sweet. Um, Leo's an Australian environmental engineer, adventurer, author, and apprentice of plant medicines. He, early in his life, suffered from irritable bowel syndrome, IBS, and treatment-resistant depression, and at a point of desperation, began working with indigenous plant medicines in 2016 to heal IBS, his gut, and his brain, and it worked. In 2018, Leo was initiated into Fang de Sumba Buiti in Nibando in Gabon. He has continued working with and learning about plant medicines ever since, moving to South America in 2020 to continue his studies. He's passionate about helping ensure plant medicines thriving, longevity, respectful use, and conservation. His first book, The Aboga Experience, was released this year in February, and his second book, Mind Engineering, will be released in late 2024. Leo, my brother, I'm so glad you're here. You are in Peru. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I am indeed in Peru. Yes, it's so awesome that you're here. I know you just got out of a multiple month dieta and training with with plants and with your teachers. And I want to ask about that as we get into it. But first, I yeah, want to sure ask thing. you about your path to this work, because I think you have a really a really interesting story and also one that's pretty common for people, which was suffering with something (laughs) and reaching the end of your rope and then finding the Mm. plants. So can you tell me what did that look like for you? Sure. So, you know, I had a pretty normal Australian childhood raised in like an atheistic middle-class family. And uh, my dad got really sick with pancreatic cancer in the end of 2014 and then passed away in 2015. And around that time, I also got, um, like IBS, so irritable bowel syndrome. And I'd had a, like a lifelong battle with depression, kind of always feeling, you know, sad, alone, lonely, that I didn't fit into normal society. Um, and in 2015, my dad had um, yeah, pancreatic cancer and I had uh, IBS and also a lifelong battle with depression. And, you know, at a point of desperation, I started working with five different doctors in Australia, like gastroenterologists, stomach specialists, And I worked with them for a while and tried all of their programs and treatments and nothing worked. And at this point in time, I was in agony. Like I was on an extremely restricted diet, um, wasn't drinking alcohol. I was almost in constant agony with my gut. I was depressed and life was just miserable. And, you know, I was an engineer at that point in time. And I was just going to work through alternative different types of medicine until I found something that worked. And so I was researching online and I found that um, indigenous plant medicines in South America, mainly ayahuasca, San Pedro, and other plant dietas can be really useful um, for people with stomach conditions. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to start with that. And if that doesn't work, I'm going to go and do traditional Chinese medicine. And if that doesn't work, I'm going to go and do Ayurvedic medicine. And so I booked a trip to South America in 2016, um, like totally desperate and just praying for a miracle that something would fix my gut. And, you know, I made all the mistakes that someone shouldn't make in their first time working with plant medicines. Like I had no references, no reviews. I didn't speak to the person that was holding the ceremony um, beforehand. I literally just signed up from like a sign up sheet in a hostel and went to ceremony that night. And then within three ceremonies, my stomach was entirely fixed and I could eat anything. Um, the IBS had totally cleared. This and was, I was with kind ayahuasca, like, yeah? Yeah, this was with ayahuasca. And that was over a two-week period that I did um, those three ceremonies that fixed me. And within that time, you know, I was also doing a lot of fasting. I was spending a lot of time in nature. Um, I did a few San Pedro ceremonies too, but they were more useful for me at that time with kind of the depression and organizing my mind. And yeah, within three ceremonies, I was blown away by the kind of miraculous healing I received. Um, 
You know, I don't want to say that's super common, but it's not unheard of for someone to fix IBS that quickly. And in my very first ceremony with ayahuasca, you know, I'm going into this as an atheist engineer that doesn't believe in spirituality, doesn't believe in spirits or kind of anything beyond like a chemical reaction to drinking some psychedelic brew. And I heard this really clear message in this first ayahuasca ceremony. And, you know, I thought I was going crazy. Like people hear messages in ceremonies. Like this is not my, <laughs> this is not my imagination. <laughs> and this message said to me that I'll fix your gut. And now I see that's like ayahuasca or the plants I was working with at that point in time. But your real work will start with iboga. And I had never heard of iboga at this point in time. Like it just wasn't in my field. I'd never read an article about it, nothing. And so the next morning I'm sitting around with my friends post-ceremony and saying, have you guys ever heard of this thing called like Ibogi, Ibogi, Ebola, Iboga? <laughs> and one of them was like, I think you mean Iboga. It's a West African plant medicine. It's super powerful. Uh, it's seen as the kind of stern but loving father or stepfather to Ayahuasca's uh, loving grandmother. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was intrigued. I kind of put that to the back of my mind was just focusing on getting healthy, focusing on fixing my gut. And then it took two years to kind of find the right place where I could work with Iboga, where everything was in alignment, where I knew they had good intentions and that I was going to work with them um, in a respectful way that kind of honored their tradition and also was going to be beneficial for both of us. And then in 2018, I went to Gabon and worked with Iboga there. And then it's kind of been, yeah, the spiritual path since then. Mm. And the way I summarize how Iboga changed my life to people in the most easy to understand way is before working with Iboga, I think probably 98 out of 100 thoughts in my head were negative, depressious, uh, like depressive, anxious, you know, self-limiting. And then after working with Iboga, I think now it's probably about one in 200. And that one that pops up every now and then, I can be, oh, okay, this came from Leo, you were working too hard. I had an argument with someone. I ate some junk food. I was pushing myself too hard. Or, you know, I can find out where that negativity came from or where that depressive thought came from, understand it, empathize it, and then deal with it. And it really gave me, this is Iboga, peace of mind and kind of that awareness to sort through my own thoughts and to tame the raging ocean of my mind and turn it into a you know, a calmer lake rather than a raging ocean that I was just drowning in all the time. It's so fascinating how the those two medicines, ayahuasca and iboga, worked together in you because mm. we do have such a connection between the gut and the brain. You know, like a lot of yep. people who have depression and anxiety also have digestive disorders and yep. IBS and, you know, all different kinds of stress and we have been told that these things are separate and we need to look at them as separate separate mm. entities inside of us and it's they're not separate and to go from like south america to africa to <laughs> you know get this like full spectrum of healing from these plants i just i love hearing these stories because these plants are fucking magical <laughs> like yeah they are ancient consciousness in a plant and they're here to like help us not just heal our own individual circumstances, but to help us, you know, you are one of so many people that I have met on this path who went for their own healing and are now like in training and in training to be in service and, you yeah. know, have found the way that like, I want other people to have this experience. So what happened after you went to Africa? So I went to Africa in, I think, July, 2018. And then I came back to Australia and I was working as an engineer and I worked in the hydroponics industry for, I think about 18 months in total. And then, you know, at the kind of the call to plants was getting so loud and the call to life being something more than working a job that was mildly fulfilling, but not totally fulfilling. I was just getting so loud that I couldn't argue with it. Mm -hmm. So at the end of, I think, um, 2019, the start of 2020, I moved to Peru. And then I've right before been based, COVID, right? Yeah, right before COVID. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so I got a good four months in Peru of uh, 
working on different retreat centers and volunteering and doing these sort of things. And then COVID hit in March. I kind of panicked. I came back to Australia for a little bit. I got trapped in Australia for a little while. And then I went back to South America in 2021. And I've been based here ever since. Nice. So you are, you do your teachings with your um, dietas and your, all of your learning with a teacher in Peru. Yeah. So I have two main teachers in Peru. I have a jungle teacher, Don Armando, who's based at a place called El Mundo Mexico. And then I have my mountain teacher, a guy called Roman Hannes. And yeah, I'm split between the two of them. So I kind of go to the jungle, work as hard as I can, do plant dietas there. I just finished a good three, three and a half month stint in the jungle recently. Mm-hmm. And then I come back to the mountains, integrate, relax, recuperate, get my strength back, study with my mountain teacher, do some things with him, and then go back to the jungle and repeat the cycle again. So how long have you been doing this? You know, this has been the past two years is kind of in that program. Mm-hmm. And then within the past 14 months, seven of them have been on strict plant dieta. Mm-hmm. and some of your audience might have done like an ayahuasca dieta before and a strict plant dieta or a shamanic dieta is different to an ayahuasca dieta there's some similarities um you know no salt no pork no alcohol no prescription medications no drugs but a plant dieta is extremely focused so it's kind of i would say the next level up to the ayahuasca dieta in a way that it's for me, what does my diet look like in the jungle? It's rice, green bananas, and small fish. And that's it. It's also no phones. It's no talking to people. It's total isolation. Um, I sing a lot of the day. I meditate a lot of the day. I write for a lot of the day. And then ceremonies every second or third night for three, three and a half months. What so kind of ceremonies def- are you doing with, with Aya? Mostly ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just introduced... Um, my teacher to working with coca as a medicine, so mm-hmm. coca leaves, and we introduced that as a ceremony, and he really liked that. My jungle teacher didn't have a relationship with working with coca as medicine, and then there's also tobacco ceremonies too. Um, we do ceremonies in the jungle where we we'll walk out to a tree and do like a meditation or a kind of mini ceremony around a tree, especially if it's a particular tree I'm working with or dieting, and yeah. That's it. It's fun. I love it so much. It's it's definitely my happy place is being on dieta in the jungle, working hard, being extremely malnourished, but <laughs> learning so much, <laughs> working so hard. And you know, I say this, I get so exhausted by the end. This final five days of this three and a bit months of dieta, I was totally done. Just you know, malnourished, no salt for three months. Um totally just spent mm-hmm. and feeling good mentally and emotionally but physically exhausted mm-hmm. and you know i said leo you've you've done too much you've done so many months of dieta now it's time to take a break and integrate and be a regular human and then you know i get a few steaks in me after i finish my dieta i go to the gym i ate some good fruits some good veggies and I'm like, Oof, i could probably go back for another <laughs> month or two <laughs> I think this is a common trait in people who follow this path. They So in the tradition that we work in, there are vision quests where you go and surrounded by prayers, sit on the mountain for, you know, a number of days and nights with no food and no water in prayer and in, um, in a commitment to walking this path and, <laughs> there are so many people that come down and then a few days later like maybe I could go back up there I just talked to <laughs> I just talked to a, a female friend of mine who has done they do four days seven days nine days and 13 days and she did all of that and then 17 days the next year Wow! because she wants to and she's from the UK and she wants to host vision quest someday okay and that's kind of part of it is like if you want to hold the space of this medicine you need to do the 17 days and she was telling me like similar to what you just said she was like oh my god I totally jacked up my guts like my my body forgot how to digest food like you know, and it's, you're not, they don't like, they get nourishment through it, different periods in the, in the vision quest. But, um, 
I am a supporter of the vision quest, but I do not do it myself because for me, it's too ordeal restriction. Um, it's too hard on my body and too hard on my nervous system. Yeah. And so, but I'm constantly surrounded by people who love starving themselves. <laughs> and like, I'm going to go into the jungle for three months and only eat tiny fish and plantains and, and rice and like, see you in a while. So <laughs> I like, I get a kick out of it. Cause it's like, there's so many people on this path that are like, oh yeah, I've been, I haven't eaten anything, you know, for, for months and I love it. I can't wait to go back. So, um, it makes me happy because it's beautiful. Like all these different, all these different paths, the jungle path is very often what you just described. Like I have several friends on the path who are, who go into the jungle with their teachers and it's the same kind of diet. Can you talk a little bit about like what kind of, how does the plant dieta work? So you're eating these foods and you're isolated yeah. and you know, you're praying and you're able to sing and create. And like, I imagine so much comes through when you're just being alone and like not connected to the internet or your phone. But totally. what is it, what is a, what is a dieta with a specific plant or a tree? How does that work? So it's different with each dieta and I can only speak to my experience. So for me, the first five days is kind of finding my feet and resetting the brain. And I see it as a dopamine detox or a dopamine reset because there's no phones. I can still read, which is nice. And it's, um, I try to very conscious reading of things that are relevant to either this plant or the specific lesson or broader teaching I'm exploring. But each dieta with each plant is different now. And so I've done, I think, eight long dietas in total, and they're normally about a month each. And, you know, there's different plants for different lessons and different things people want to explore. So one of my first dietas was a tobacco dieta, which is building the relationship with tobacco. And that's seen as a very cleaning dieta. So kind of shifting heavy energies, cleaning the mind, kind of clearing and just cleaning the whole body and then building a relationship with tobacco, which then facilitates other relationships, other relationships with plants further on. Uh, my second long... Let me, I want to yes. ask you about tobacco specifically, because yeah. I know that when I came into doing this work, I had a very confused understanding of that plant because of mm. how, you know, addictive it is in commercial, you know, it's, it's, it's a plant that has had its power taken over by capitalism and consumerism. Yeah. So can you speak to like, what is the purpose of this plant? Yeah. So I had the exact same kind of uh, relationship with tobacco and that when I first came to it, I was very heavily conditioned with cigarettes and how tobacco was seen in Australia and the United States. You know, it's dangerous, it's cancerous. It has all of these chemicals added to it that make it highly addictive. The relationship with tobacco from a traditional sense is tobacco is a bridge and it's a bridge that can connect us to spirit it's a bridge that can connect us to other people. We can use it to call energies in and push energies out. It can be used for cleaning a space. And it's seen as the original master plant, mm -hmm. the master plant that explained all the other plants in the jungle. So people started smoking tobacco and learning how to work with that. And then through connecting to the spirit of tobacco or connecting to a higher state of consciousness or a higher state of awareness, they were able to understand other plants in the jungle and start working with them. So tobacco is seen in a lot of lineages as kind of the keystone plant and the plant that's the foundation for working with many others. And it's really common in the jungle path for people to start with a tobacco dieta. One, because it's so cleaning and so clearing of all energies and you know a lot of patterns we hold on to. But two, then it helps us connect to other things. So once we get clear, then it makes it much easier to connect to other plants, to other people, and to do yeah, deeper, more aligned and easier work. So how do you consume it when you're dieting it? So when I was doing the tobacco dieta, that's different to how I would be smoking it regularly. Mm -hmm. And on a tobacco dieta, my teacher's way was drinking tobacco juice four times a day. Wow. And it's very strong. Mm -hmm. It tastes rancid. It's not nice to drink. Mm -hmm. And most people, when they're doing a tobacco dieta, will purge a lot, vomit a lot. You know, I was quite lucky. I already had a good relationship with tobacco. And um, my great-grandfather was a cigar maker in Amsterdam. Oh, so wow. I guess there's some kind of ancestral connection to tobacco. 
But yeah, on a tobacco dieta, most plant dietas are done by drinking either the leaves put into a juice form or the bark put into a juice or tea form. And then it's pretty common to drink it once a day for most plants, but tobacco is a special one because if you drink a lot at once, say someone was drinking a quarter gallon or 500 mils, there's a chance you could die. And most of the deaths that occur at retreat centers come from people drinking too much tobacco. That's mm -hmm. from my experience, what I've seen the most common way people have really bad outcomes at retreat centers is through inappropriately served tobacco medicine. Mm -hmm. So the tobacco dieta for me was a little different. It was four smaller doses a day and just drinking the juice of the tobacco leaf. Okay, kids, don't try this at home. <laughs> this is a thing that you need to do with the teacher. And I just want to say that because it's it's easy to get overzealous and think, oh, I'm just going to have a, my own tobacco dieta. And like, this is a professional level thing. So <laughs> I just want to put a disclaimer on this. Please don't drink tobacco. Don't like unroll your, your Marlboro lights and put them in water and <laughs> try to like see what will happen. Okay. All right. We're good. Okay. So tobacco, what came after that? Then I did the vine of love and the vine of, good fortune, solving problems and long-term relationships, which is called Juani Renaco. And it's a strangling vine. So I've now done two diets with that one. And people, a lot of people say that you don't fully get to know a plant or really understand it until you've dieted with it twice. And for me, it was beautiful because the first time I did the vine of love dieta, Juani Renaco, it was all like this love explosion like beautiful visions in ceremony, overwhelming feelings of love, great business ideas, all kinds of wonderful things. And I was so excited to diet it the second time. And the second time I did a diet with it, it was strangling me. And I had no visions the entire time. Um, I kind of was wrestling with death, what it felt like kind of an ego death or a, you know, a depressive sort of state for a, a good month the second time I worked with it. And then I understood that that's the nature of explosive love mm. that it can be kind of so engulfing and amazing and just wonderful at the start and then eventually it can strangle us if we're not careful and we don't have our own boundaries and don't know what we're kind of getting into and that's what this plan is is it's a strangler vine mm -hmm. so it finds a plant like a master tree a really tall strong tree in the jungle and then it takes a hundred years to kind of reach maturity and it grows then for another 400 years around this tree. And then at about the 500 to 600 year mark, it strangles the tree and they both die. Whoa. And so it's a really cool That's lesson on, <laughs> on love. And it's kind of, you know, love is transient. It's passing. It's also the foundation of everything. But for a period of time, it makes this beautiful entity mm. of a strangler vine beautifully wrapping around a tree. And then when the dance is done, they both die and they both go their own way. Nice. That's yeah. amazing. Mm. What else? What else? What are what's another highlight that you like? Oh, another highlight. Um a really cool one I did this year is a plant called Chiriksanango. Mm -hmm. And that is one of the most revered plants. It's a small plant, it's not a huge tree in the jungle. And that yet was all about fear and returning to kind of this innocent, childlike level of love. Mm. And it was best summarized to me as playground love. You know, when we're a child at school and everyone kind of has different girlfriends and boyfriends, you know, they're maybe the age of five to 10 mm -hmm. and they'd say, oh yeah, little Susie's my girlfriend, little Johnny's my boyfriend or whatever. Mm -hmm. They kind of have all these different loves and it's a love from a place with no wounds where there's no societal mm -hmm. projections. There's no, what are my parents going to think? What are my friends going to think? It's just a love from intrigue curiosity and appreciation of someone else as like through a child's eyes and that dieta took me back to that state it went through all of my fears um you know i'd already been doing kind of a fear practice where i go into traumatic memories or challenging memories of my life and this plant took me to ones i'd never even discovered and it kind of showed me all the times that i'd closed down all the times that i'd shut the heart all the times that i've kind of gone into a place of judgment and then it's been gently guiding me to open the heart and be more of that innocent, childlike, wondering curiosity of the world. That's so beautiful. I love that. It reminds me, you know, the Sanskrit name for the heart chakra is anahata, and it means unstruck, which is like 
what you're just describing, like a heart. Mm. And that's like the center of our, of our love energy. And when it's open and balanced, that's how it is. It's, it's appreciation and curiosity and, and childlike. And I, yeah. I, really, I love that playground love. Yes, so you have been working, doing these dietas, going to retreats, and just really on this path for several years. So how, how does your, as a person that has, is in this training, how does your integration look? Like, what does it look like for you to integrate these huge experiences? That is a very good question because it's changed over time. And if I'm totally honest with you, I haven't been integrating enough or living my life enough. And when I first came to this path in 2016, you know, I would come to a retreat or come to work with a specific plant with a very clear intention, whether it be to heal my gut or heal my depression or find guidance in life. And then I would go out and live my life and I would be meditating. I'd be talking to friends. I'd be talking to a therapist. Um, I'd be exercising, trying to eat well and really integrating and living more of a normal life, which I think for most people is really useful. But then as I've gone further down this path, especially the past two years, it's there hasn't been much integration. And it's actually something I wanted to talk to you about because a lot of my friends who are further down the path or have been doing it for a longer period of time really stressed to me the importance of taking time off mm-hmm. and letting the magic unfold in regular, normal reality, if there is such mm-hmm. a thing. And yeah, for me, the past two years has really been just kind of going as hard as I can, then recovering as hard as I can to go back and work as hard as I can. And it hasn't been this time to let the kind of magic unfold. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and now I'm taking six months off. I'm starting to do podcasts, writing more, being more of a regular human being. But yeah, I definitely, there's something almost hypocritical about myself that if I was talking to my friends or family, I would stress to them the importance of integration and taking time off and going slow. But then the reality of my life has just been going as hard as I can for the past two years. So there's definitely a a contradiction there within myself, but I can recognize it and I'm working on it. It's really good that you brought this up because I think this is how it is for most people who find this work and decide to devote their life to it in whatever way. Mm. Like I was talking about this to a friend the other day, who's also a coach, I was like, you know, for the first couple of years of my business, I was really trying to work with people in this space because I'm like, okay, people who are holding space, people who are facilitating and coaching and, you know, all of these different kinds of healers, they really need support. You know, they need coaching. Mm -hmm. They need like integration support. And they are the least likely people to pay and invest in that kind of work for themselves. And it took me a while to understand this because I actually, I invest in lots of different stuff for myself, but I don't have an Mm -hmm. integration coach because for me, the integration is about my body. It's about my like nervous system, mostly like ramping down because there's so much activation and medicine is very activating. It's like, I will go on these retreats and then I would have to come home and like, okay, I need like three months to, to gather everything together. And how do I do that in myself so that I can teach other people how to do it? And I think it's across the board very common for the people that are holding space not to be taking rest. I mean, I can look to my teachers. They, those people do not rest. And you, you know, like, like Salvador, he's not resting right now. He's doing, (laughs) he's probably on the roof, like doing some kind of construction. Like this guy, he does everything. And it's, it's important for us to rest. I'm in, I'm in this with myself right now. I'm taking a season of rest and it is really fucking hard. Like Mm -hmm. I am struggling with slowing down because my, my brain and my heart like want to keep going and keep creating and keep doing. And my body is like, please stop, please stop. You need to, you need to rest. You need to rest. And I, I think with all of the, the outside influences, the rest it's you know everything is continuing to go on when you're Mm. resting and so it can feel very I've been talking about this on the podcast I made an episode about FOMO and and JOMO which is like the joy of missing out and (laughs) you know like 
like really being in your own presence. I mean, like whatever's going on with me in my world, in my body, in my energy is the most important thing. And I need to like, and I think that is integration. And like, how can we, you know, the, what you've been describing for yourself is like, okay, I'm doing these like super intense dietas and then I'm swinging to like, okay, I'm going to be a normal person. And maybe that is normal for you. Like maybe those Mm -hmm. extremes are what is your normal, you know, you're going to go to Europe and like, eat pasta and whatever drink wine (laughs) and like that's your integration and I think over time what has come up for me in this is I don't necessarily want to be like and I bet you feel this way too I don't really want to be going to a retreat or doing you know I'm I get to do this for three months and then I'm going back to this other life Mm. I just want to have one life and I want that life to be living on land doing with medicine with community like doing all the work that I do now but in a different place in like in including you know permaculture and agri and farming and like making butter I don't know whatever we have cows like (laughs) (laughs) I have a dream (laughs) and I'm hearing this a lot it's it's I think we feel torn between these two worlds because we are torn and how can we like bring these two extremes like closer together you know not that you shouldn't go traipsing through Europe and like enjoy (laughs) but but I feel the same way like when we do retreats and stuff I have I it's like you go to the retreat and it's so amazing and it's so beautiful and then you come home and you're like okay there's a little bit of a depressed like a depression feeling Mm. you are coming from such a collective connected community back into okay well now I have to like make money and pay rent and you know I think it's kind of discombobulating for people. And that's part of why I feel like integration is so important is because most of us are coming back into that Mm. quote unquote normie reality. So how can we, like, how can you be surrounded by people who understand you? Like, how do you get, how do you connect with people who speak the language of medicine and who understand Mm. what you're going through when you're like, oh yeah, I just spent, three months or seven months in the jungle like when you tell me that I know what that means yeah you know? and like some other people would be like what the hell were you doing in the jungle <laughs> <laughs> and you're like well let me tell you and they're like you're crazy goodbye <laughs> yeah. it's like, no wonder you have all these problems Leo you spent seven <laughs> months doing drugs in the jungle right like, what right, do you think right, would right. happen yeah but I totally agree and I see it that you know, ideally the dream world would be to have what you described at the start is that we're living in community. We're living with our friends and family on land. We're working jobs or have professions that are really nourishing and bring joy to us. And then the medicine work is kind of this maybe monthly or infrequent tool we use to connect to each other, connect to land and kind of keep the community and keep the world that we're living in, you know, operating in harmony. Mm-hmm. but in this current timeline we're in in the current place of the collective consciousness we're split between two worlds mm-hmm. that we kind of we get that through extremes that we can have a month or a, a really good retreat for someone just starting of drinking with medicine meeting really great new people having great conversations and then going back to work to pay for it and to kind of live their regular life and you know, for me, integration is one of my teachers said to me, what are you integrating? Like, Leo, what are you trying to integrate? And it was a really good question because I thought, you know, with all this work that we do on retreats or on dietas or whatever the spiritual practice is, there's an increase in the state of awareness and increase in consciousness, which can be really hard to go back and integrate mm-hmm. into a regular life and into an old state of consciousness that we might have been living in for many years beforehand. Mm-hmm. And so for me, integration is not so much going back to an old life, but learning how to build a new life, a new community and a new world. And, you know, it's all coming together. I'm in the process of buying land in Peru, as we were talking before the podcast. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, that's, that's the dream one day is to live with friends and family in community, in nature, working jobs that we love, working on creative projects that we love, Mm -hmm. being in ceremony with family and just living a life that doesn't need integration. But the unfortunate reality is that I'm personally not there just yet. Uh, not many people are, No, but it's on the, it's on the horizon. It's coming. Well, I think this is part of it is 
one thing I've been thinking about lately is like, I'm like, why is everything taking so long? <laughs> and, you know, like I just started, I found this path when I was 40 and I'm meeting people now who are like, starting with medicine when they're in their 20s and I'm like oh yes amazing like that's so beautiful you don't have to go through this whole period of being lost from yourself and addicted or whatever like that was my story um yeah. and then there's part of me that's like okay I found it I'm healing like I'm healing and then I just I find myself like coming back up against like some you know struggle it's a it's the same struggle all the time in a different outfit, mm. essentially, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, like, it's like, oh, okay, you healed, you healed this version of this, here it is again. And I started looking at those things instead of like, oh, why, you know, like, why are all these obstacles coming of like, oh, I am on this path. And the more I, the faster I center myself and my presence to recognize, like, I have the power to choose how I think how I behave mm. you know my beliefs my thoughts everything that I do in my day I have power to decide how I feel and yep. when I can can like align back to that and get back in momentum of like everything is actually happening very quickly <laughs> yeah. um, you know it's like it's it doesn't there's this like I don't know, maybe it's like the Instagram narrative or something where it's like, okay, I found my healing and I went to a retreat and now I'm fixed. And then I started a spiritual business and now I'm making all this money. And then I bought some land and all of this happened in like a year. Mm. That has not been my experience. Like it takes time. And the reason yeah. it takes time is because you have to be ready to receive what is coming for you. And if you're not in a place where you can handle like basic stress in your normal normie life, why would you be given a big piece of land or, you know, a retreat center or whatever the work that you're wanting to do, you have to train for it. And yes. social media has made us think that like, you just get, you don't have to do any training and people are, mm. people are going into medicine work with no training and no, you know, you've been doing this for years. You've sat in the jungle alone. You've done vision quests. Like a lot of people are handing out medicine without any of that. There's no anchor yeah. to these teachings. And I talk about this a lot because it disturbs me. And the integration is the same. <laughs> it's like, I'm wanting to help other people integrate. How do I learn that? I do it myself. Mm. And how I do it myself is not going to retreats. It's what is coming up in my daily life. And how is that my path? For me, integration yep. is, a, is a all day, every day. Mm. That's the life. And the medicine keeps me connected to spirit to my source to my path and but I'm not getting like it doesn't happen as fast as it does at the beginning you know when you're really suffering and you start taking medicine so much changes so quickly but as you keep going yeah. on this path it's like okay I'm going to give you something and this is going to be a five-year project or something you know it's mm -hmm. like it's much the timeline stretches out because you have raised your vibration and your consciousness and to continue to raise it is a much more nuanced, yeah. um, slower process. I feel fascinated by the slow process. I enjoy it. I love it. Totally agree. Yeah. And I'll, can I add to that? I would say for me in my process at the start, there were some really big immediate lessons mm -hmm. that I had to learn and they kind of came up hard and fast. And then I would take six months off to integrate them and learn them. And then recently, you know, in the past couple of years, it's been these long, deeper lessons and rather kind of being an immediate weed to be plucked out of the garden or a bad thought form or bad behavioral pattern that's kind of I'm addressing and saying, where does this come from? It's more like allowing a whole garden to flourish. Mm -hmm. And once the weeds of these self-sabotaging behaviors have been dealt with or identified and brought awareness to then for me, the process has been one of a much longer term building a beautiful garden. You know, that takes time. Like a fruit tree takes sometimes three to five years to bear fruit. Seven and... years for avocados, if you want. Avocados. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really love that, that metaphor. Like we are, we are not machines. We are, we are gardens and we need, mm. we have to take seasons. I have been so into seasonal everything. I'm like, what yeah. season is my body in? What season is my business in? What season? I mean, it's summer, you know, like 
what is the actual physical season of earth and how can yeah. I align myself with that rather mm. than looking outside of myself to be like, well, I should be doing this now. Or I, you yeah. know, like I am all about just cutting all of the cords to whatever is outside of you telling you to do something in a way that doesn't feel rhythmic and cyclical and natural to you. Mm. So I like that you have these like extremes going into the jungle. You wouldn't have a season of jungle and then you have a season of, of French bread and wine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that sounds magical and it's lovely. And it's actually <laughs> hearing you talk about Peru too. I'm like, oh, I want to go to Peru. It's been a long time. I haven't been there since I've only been once and it was in 2017, I think at the end. So it's yeah. been a long time so i'm excited to come and visit you when you get your land <laughs> yeah you're very welcome yeah um, one thing that was coming through as you were sharing is we have these big seasons right for mm -hmm. me i have seasons in the jungle i have seasons of being a more regular human i have seasons of working but then within those seasons there's the weather there's the daily weather mm -hmm. and we can still tap into ceremony <laughs> um you know when i'm in that regular world or when i'm uh, vacationing somewhere I can still meditate I can still go for walks in nature maybe I might microdose or smoke tobacco very intentionally very mindfully and then also in the times of extreme ceremonial work like going to the jungle for long dieta there's still times of fun there's still like a, a window of sunshine where I'm dancing and singing and enjoying mm -hmm. and it's kind of like we have these broad patterns and broad seasons of our life, but then there's this interday or even interhour kind of weather that passes through of time to take rest, time to celebrate, time to enjoy some nice wine. Mm -hmm. You know, there's the daily weather within these bigger seasons. And mm -hmm. I can recognize in myself that, you know, I'm like that autistic engineering mindset of just like going too hard at something for too long. It's mm -hmm. nice to welcome weather in. And it's nice mm. to welcome the sunshine in, light in the sun, dance in the sun, and enjoy that even in the really tough times of work. And then, you know, in the really joyful, easy times in life, it's also useful to bring in some intentional shadow work or some intentional kind of deeper work too. And just to bring things into balance within those extremes. So I wanted to ask you, what does your ideal daily practice regimen look like because I think one of the biggest parts of having an an integration experience is mm. the practices like yep. what are you what are you doing to take care of yourself when you're not in that heightened ceremonial container of dieting jungle mountains <laughs> yeah so at the moment my process is I wake up pretty early and I'll smoke tobacco and set my intention for the day and kind of have my to-do list of things I want to do. Often that'll be a meditation as well, where thoughts will come in and kind of the messages and lessons will continue to come through with that quiet time early in the morning. I then like to get my work done pretty early and pretty quickly. So I'm writing my second book at the moment and doing a second edition of my first book. And I work on them from, say, uh, like six to nine or six to ten and kind of get that done so then it's guilt-free for the rest of the day that then after then I can go and read I can go and have lunch with friends I can go and hang out with good friends and talk to them and share what's coming up in my process and their process I also like to exercise outside so sometimes it'll be a midday run other days we'll be going to the gym um, sometimes it'll just be a walk in nature mm -hmm. and then even now when I'm not in the strict ceremonial work most times at night time is spent like singing practice or it's spent working with a different teacher just chewing coca or smoking tobacco and talking to them and then i go to bed pretty early like i'm pretty boring in that sense that i go to bed at say 9 30 every night i read for half an hour an hour and then get up at 5 a.m the next day and do all do it all over so for me i really like the one thing that i've kind of come to see as a superpower of working with plant medicines is the period of time we have after a retreat or after a dieta where our brain is hyperplastic and it's really good at break, breaking old habits and building new ones. 
So for me, the first two weeks after I emerge from any kind of retreat container or dieta container is spent really being, you know, probably stricter and harsher on myself than would be ideal. But I see it as that kind of divine masculine archetype. Okay, if I'm a bit harsher on myself now and set the good habits and kind of set the good framework and foundation, then it's a bit easier when I'm fully out of it. So it sounds like, like maybe less like discipline and more like devotion though, you know, where you're like, I'm really, really, I mean, the path of devotion is a path of discipline, but it's like softer because you're doing it in service to yourself, to spirit, to, you know, whatever the greater good is. Yeah. Um, um, I've started, I was thinking about gentle discipline because I've been really enacting some of that. I, I have a harsh resistance to discipline. I don't like it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but when I frame it as a act of devotion to like my health, my temple, you know, all these different, all mm-hmm. these different parts that I, that are really important to me. Um, it feels so easy then because it's like, oh, this is just, this is like my spiritual practice. So yeah it doesn't, I don't know, for some reason it takes the edge off for me. Um, and it's so interesting too, to hear how we do a lot of the same things in a very different order. Like, yeah, like, and I think that's so important is to, to tap into like, what time of day do you like to exercise? What time of day do you enjoy working? Like what time of day Mm. feels best for, if you're able to do this, like some people, have to go to a job at a time and that is that's one of the things that I think is not really doesn't really work in our society is like okay the clock is the boss right and like Mm -hmm. you're doing these things at this time when maybe you would it would take you less time to do the same activity or the same work if you did it at a different time of day for me I feel the most productive in the afternoon so I don't do any work in the morning I'm like Mm a I'm like that's my time to meditate. I walk outside, I exercise and all of that stuff. And so it's cool to hear. I remember you, when we were at Hialeema, you, we, you would be like smoking mapachos on the porch. And then like a couple hours later, I would see you like running off into the mountains. I'm like, I've never seen anyone smoke so much tobacco and be able to run. <laughs> <laughs> that was so funny. And I remember having such amazing conversations with you on the porch. Um, just. It's so, so beautiful to, to connect with medicine family. And like, I talk about this all the time on this path. People think that you have to go out and find this. Like you have to search Mm -hmm. for it. You have to, um, you have to orchestrate all of this. And what I have learned from medicine again and again and again is it comes to you. It will find you. I think Andrew Andrew on the episode that we did said like when the student is ready the teacher appears I was like yeah (laughs) and then when the student's really ready the teacher disappears which is what what I'm going through now too yeah so Uh, so tell me about so you have written a book about aboga yeah and aboga is is a hardcore medicine as far Mm. as plants as far as plant medicine goes it's one of the most powerful if not the most powerful plant medicine on earth so I was wanting to ask about like who should who should be looking at this medicine because I know it's not for everyone right it's like a very specific kind of healing or kind of journey so who is this for you know I would say iboga is not for many people Mm -hmm. Um, and you're totally right in that um, statement for me most people I see that really do a full ceremonial initiation with iboga only need one initiation in their lifetime some maybe two and you know that's quite different to working with ayahuasca or san pedro where people might drink it tens or hundreds of times in their life and continue to work with it throughout their entire life iboga for me and for many people i spoke to was so intense that one time is enough and you know, it's not so great to share the details of a ceremony because mm-hmm. we're encouraged not to precondition other people with what to expect and what to kind of, um, what the experience should look like because everyone's experience is perfect for them and what they need at that point in time. But for me, and I'll say that, yeah, everyone's experience is different. It was brutal. And 
you know, I prepared for a good two months beforehand, very strictly. Um, the ceremony itself lasted for so long. Um, you know, this information is readily available online, but the ceremony itself took like 30 hours. And then I was still journeying without sleep for five days afterwards with no sleep. And then oh, it wow. took probably six months afterwards to really come back into my body and to feel like my normal, older, settled, grounded self. So it's a really intense experience. Um, I think that I might do a second dose in 10 or 20 years' time, uh, like a second initiation. I can feel the kind of call starting very softly as a whisper. So I'm kind of checking my watch. Oh, I probably got maybe 10 years before that turns into a, <laughs> do I have to do it again? Mm -hmm. But it's a very intense um, experience. I think Iboga became famous in the plant medicine community for addiction. Mm -hmm. that a lot of people with long-term chronic addiction issues, um, you know, in my book, I interviewed people with uh, addiction issues from everything from heroin, opiates, amphetamines, cocaine, alcohol, eating disorders, all sorts of things. And I think it can be very useful for people in an addiction like lens and coming from that intention, but it's also very useful for people with like treatment resistant depression, which is what I had. Um, it's also useful for people feeling lost in life. But I think the most important thing is to really feel a call to it and to really feel like a, a genuine intrigue, a deep respect for the medicine and to have kind of something deeper telling you, okay, this is maybe for you. Mm -hmm. And this is something that this person is really interested in and then go from there. I say for people, if they're 99% certain about doing it, then they shouldn't do it, that it should be a hundred percent. Like I have to do this. I'm so curious about it. I want to learn more about it. I just feel that it's for me 100%. Mm -hmm. Then I say, okay, we can talk and I'm happy to answer any questions. But if someone's like, oh yeah, that sounds cool. I say, stay away from it. And the other really important thing, with say psilocybin or cannabis or other kind of uh, plant medicines, people can get away with doing it themselves at home, you know, a small dose here or there. But with the boga, yeah, I would recommend probably my strongest and only rule that I have for people is don't do iboga by yourself and don't yeah. do it with a friend, but do it with someone who's been studying and working with iboga for a long time. And the way I describe a lot of plant medicine work is it's high level brain surgery or high level heart surgery. And, you know, we can give a monkey a scalpel and say, go, go monkey, like go cut the brain and see what happens. Or we can give it to someone who's studied with elders, someone who's studied with like masterful teachers for decades mm -hmm. and has taken hundreds, if not thousands of people through the process. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's a real brain surgeon or a heart surgeon. And for me personally, I'd much rather work with, someone who's passionate has been studying and working with that particular plant for say 10 or 20 years time than just giving plant medicines to a monkey and saying, okay, monkey, see what happens. Yeah. It's um, there's a lot of monkeys with scalpels running around in the U S yeah. big time. And, you know, they're doing, of course they have taken a boga and synthesized the active chemical in it and turned it into a pharmaceutical version, which is Ibogaine. Yep. And they give that to people in a clinical setting hmm. in the U S specifically for the things that you mentioned. Um, and it's just so interesting to hear. I mean, you did it with the Bwiti tribe from Gabon, which is like where that medicine originates from. Yep. And it just is, and I keep saying this, and I don't know why I, I, it's I'm having a hard time like understanding how something like that, the shaman path, the tradition, the ceremony, the spirit, the spiritual path, and going to a doctor's office and taking a psychedelic, quote unquote, <laughs> are even in the same. They're not the same. They are not the same thing, and. Mm. And that's fine. They don't need to be the same thing. And I'm not saying that, you know, going down the medical path is bad if that's what feels safe to you. But I really implore people, if you are going to sit with these medicines, do it with the plants, because these plants 
this is the problem that we have in this in this society is we are so disconnected from earth from the from our mother from our natural process from our wildness from our own animal nature and to me taking a taking a pill version of the plant is just like exacerbating the problem yeah. you know the problem is like you're depressed why are you depressed do you go outside do you step on the earth do you drink fresh water from a stream do you you know probably not you probably spend most of your time inside deep, deeply disconnected from your other fellow humans. And mm. it's like, we need sunlight to make serotonin in our body. We need to go outside. We need to touch the dirt. We need to be around nature. And I don't know, I'm just having like a whole like psychic break with like the medical establishment piece of this, because I don't, I just, I don't want to like discourage people from getting the help they need, but I a hundred percent do not vibe with that. Yeah, totally agree. And I've thought about this a lot and I think, you know, there's a like a big craze around plant medicines and the, for me have been miraculous in my healing. But what I see is the common factor in almost everyone who comes to plant medicines is a lot of us were or are suffering from the three same common issues which is a lack of connection to nature, a lack of connection to community and a lack of um, connection to a spiritual or a spiritual practice. Mm -hmm. And plant medicines are fantastic when done in a retreat setting or in the jungle or some kind of formal ceremonial setting, because they address all three of those issues. We're in nature, we're in community, and we're having some kind of spiritual practice. Mm -hmm. And sure, this new modern medical kind of, you know, using ibogaine, which can be useful in a clinical treatment setting or psilocybin in a clinical treatment setting or ketamine, whatever it is. Sure, there might be some kind of short-term neurological adaptation that helps someone have awareness and helps someone kind of find the issues in their life. But the real-term, long-term, like trajectory-changing stuff happens when, for me and I've seen other people, they return to nature, community, and a spiritual practice. Mm -hmm. And... Yeah, maybe for someone going to a doctor's office and having a clinical chemical plant medicine experience is a great doorway into asking bigger questions. But for me, the rubber meets the road when, you know, that integration is not that old life, but building a new life of community, nature, and a spiritual practice. Mm -hmm. It sounds so, it's, not, it's like, obviously, those are the that's like the trifecta. How do we yeah. do that? I feel like mm. we should be asking ourselves every day, how am I enhancing my connection to nature my connection to my spirit family and connection to spirit and like if you start your day out with those questions and do mm. activity in the day to move yourself closer to that you can radically change your life just with that easy wow i love that i've never thought about bringing that into a daily practice but that's awesome nice we just made it up yeah <laughs> you, you can have it you can patent it that <laughs> could be a sinclair special I'm I'm just always looking for what is the way I can do this right now, mm. you know, because I think there's a lot of times if you don't, if you don't take control of your thoughts and your mind, um, and it doesn't have to be harsh, it can be gentle. And I have to talk to myself in very gentle ways because I need a lot of softness. Mm. But if I wake up and let my mind just go wherever I'm going to be in a bad mood because everything is hard. And yep. if I let myself agree with that and believe that I'm going to spend all day looking for that. Like, how is this hard? How is this hard? How is this hard? <laughs> and I have gotten myself stuck in those, you know, in periods of like weeks or months where I'm just like, why do I feel so crappy? And it's like, get your shit together, man. Like go outside <laughs> and put your feet in the grass and breathe, you know, do some breath work, like meditate. And, mm. and people are like, I'm so tired of being told to meditate. And it's like, if you can't sit with yourself for five minutes or 10 minutes, how are you going to sh make real big shifts? Like it mm. has to start with something small and it doesn't have to be, you know, you don't have to do a three month dieta in the jungle. You can start going outside every day for 20 minutes. Like these, you can take baby steps and for me, if I have a, I have a very active, anxious brain, my brain is towards anxiety mostly. And 
if I don't put some, I like to think of it as like a jungle gym, you know, of, <laughs> of like, you know, for it to play on because it can easily, it can just as easily create positive, exciting, yummy thoughts as it can create doom spiral thoughts. And yeah. so I like, I like what you just said about those three aspects because it's so easy like, how is this enhancing? Is this enhancing me? Is it enhancing my community? Is it enhancing mm. my spirit connection? Is it enhancing my nature connection? That's very simple to do. So yeah. thanks for thanks for bringing that up. I like that. <laughs> and one other thing that was coming to me, which is a new addition to my practice as well, is like you, I used to have a lot of that kind of harsher language to myself when, you know, I caught myself messing around or not working or kind of being lazy, whatever or engaging in a habit that wasn't serving me. And something that shifted for me recently is this very soft language of turn the page. Mm. And it's kind of recognizing that that behavior or that story or that environment I was in was useful for a particular period of time, but for where I want to go and where I'd like to be, it's time to turn the page. Ooh, and I like that. I might just catch myself saying to myself three or four times a day, like when, you know, I'm just, okay, I can't be bothered starting working. I want to go check <laughs> Instagram. I want to go check right. social media. And like, you know what, Leo, turn the page. Mm -hmm. Or when, you know, I'm tired and I don't feel like going to the gym or I don't feel like going for a walk. I'll be like, you know what, put an audio book, turn the page and enjoy it. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's a very soft way of saying, okay, this behavior was useful previously or this energy was useful previously, but we're still in control. Mm -hmm. And we can choose to turn the page to a new story, a new chapter, a new lesson. We just have to choose it. And we can do it softly. Or we can talk to ourselves like, don't be such a bitch. Come on, get out there and do it. <laughs> <laughs> or we can say, just turn the page. Come on, next adventure. Yeah, well, and yeah. and that that perspective of, of witnessing yourself in whatever pattern or, you know, feeling or you know mind maze I like to call them mind mazes I'm like where, how did I get so lost in here there's no shame in that like those things are useful you know sometimes I like to think of everything like I believe that everything is happening for me like for my mm. benefit everything yeah. is here to help me and totally. that includes all of the shitty stuff <laughs> like <laughs> especially like, the shitty stuff yeah it's here yeah. to it's here to take what's in the way is the way. And so saying to yourself, like, turn the page is a nice, gentle way to acknowledge whatever that thing is and not shame yourself for it. We get so judgmental of ourselves. We're like, mm. you should, you should be, if you are talking to yourself in should language, you know that that is some bullshit that needs to go. Like, should, <laughs> you know, should is like, yeah, that's like death cult program you should be more successful. You should be working harder. You should, mm. you should be working right now. Like maybe you need a rest. That's okay. I mean, getting rid of that, of that harshness in your mind is a really amazing step to enable you to have the energy and the ability to make the choices to do all of this healthy, you know, productive. And I mean, productive in a expanding your spirit and your consciousness, not productive as in product making more money or whatever, you yeah. know, capitalist way that we think of that term, because being productive doesn't mean, doesn't mean making money. Being productive is like, how am I expanding my spirit? At least that's how I think about it. Yeah. I think it depends on what time frame people take and then what their values are as well. Mm -hmm. And for people like us that are on the spiritual path and committed to walking along the spiritual path and seeing where it goes money is kind of you know a necessary thing that just had a problem that has to be solved but not something to obsess about mm -hmm. and then it's like okay once i kind of have that bucket filled enough not enough that i'm like drowning in money and feeling sick with money but enough that you know i can have a cheap lunch out with friends mm -hmm. that um you know i can pay the bills i can kind of get things just going then it sets up the real productivity the productivity of kind of walking on the spiritual path, understanding who we are, connecting with our friends and having fun. Mm -hmm. I'm really excited about your next book. Tell me what it's going to be about. So this next book is called Mind Engineering. Mm -hmm. And it basically takes an engineering perspective to all the things I've been learning for the past eight years from my Indigenous teachers. 
and explaining it in like a really digestible way, um, all their teachings. And it's broken up into two sections, hardware engineering and software engineering. So how do we fix the physical body? And then how do we fix the like mental programs and kind of software that's running in the background? Mm -hmm. And it takes, yeah, an engineering perspective to indigenous traditions and uh, customs and ideas. Ooh, that sounds cool. I'm into it. Yeah, it's fun. I'm enjoying it. It's a lot of fun to write. Nice. Well, Leo, is there anything else that you want to share? Any wisdom, any insights before we go? Um, I will share this quickly. It's not so insightful or so spiritual, but my book is available for purchase on Amazon. Uh, It's called The Iboga Experience. Mm -hmm. And 55% of the profit or the royalties go towards um, Iboga Conservation to a Gabonese-owned charity. So more than half the proceeds go to, yeah, conservation of Iboga, making sure it's safe and protected. And yeah, if you enjoyed what we were talking about today, there's lots of useful information in that book, uh, how to integrate, how to find a facilitator, how to find out if the medicine is right for you, how to work in a ceremony or how to kind of uh, make the most of a ceremony, kind of some good general tips and pointers. And there's also like essential safety steps and essential medical steps to take as well. So it's useful for anyone looking at plant medicine work. It's not just about Iboga. There's 23 stories in there from people that worked with plant medicines or with Iboga for all kinds of different reasons. And yeah, I think it's useful for anyone on this path or thinking about stepping onto this path. And yeah, if you like it, please support Iboga and yeah, check it out. Yeah, so I'm going to put the link in the show in the show notes so you can find it on Amazon. And you can find Leo on Instagram as well, so I'll put a link to his. What's your what's your handle? <laughs> I think it's leo.vanv. Awesome. Thank you so much. I could talk to you for like 4 hours. Um I'm sure we could keep I remember yeah, could our easily. chats on the porch could be very long. So, it's yeah. so lovely to catch up with you, brother. I'm so happy to see you. I'm so excited for your European exploration and I'm so excited that you're going to buy some land in Peru wow amazing yeah and so excited for you to come visit yeah as I said before you are most welcome to come visit and hang out and we love to back on the porch (laughs) so um thank you for being here thanks for sharing your wisdom and thanks everyone we'll see you next time